Uh, I love this song because at the core of it, there's like one hardcore message in this song that I absolutely love. And I've got two thoughts for you this morning. Some of you are going, oh, Lord, this is going to take two hours to get two thoughts out. No, they're not that established. I, listen, this is how unestablished they are. I've got my phone and not my iPad, okay? So you know two things. One, God, uh, I developed a message. Don't worry, it's there. It's all printed out. Um, but, uh, but even up until last night, I felt like, ah, I just... I don't really want to put a whole lot down on paper because there was just, there's just a message there in my heart that I'm like, I don't want to get so worded out on my, my phone. And so um, the, the crutch or the, 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 the core of this message, the song, is that God picks people that we wouldn't. And, and, and sometimes we have to look in the mirror and realize that God chooses you for something, and you typically try to fight it as well. Most of us, if given the opportunity to do something or not do something, we're going to, out of fear, not do something. Um, unless, you, unless you're like, okay, so some of you may know the name Travis Pastrana. Um, he, is a, he started out as a, an X Games uh, motocross guy. He has, okay, so medically, medically been told he does not produce the things in your body that create fear. That's scary, okay? Because I feel at some point there needs to be that in everybody. Like that, that you know, hey, don't put your hand in the meat grinder to see what happens type moment. Like there's a fearful moment. Our kids were talking about it on the way up to the lake uh, yesterday, and, and, and they were talking about jumping out off the cliffs with squirrel suits and crazy weirdo things like that. I'm like, listen, there are things that humans were not designed to do. One of them was to look like a squirrel and then jump off a cliff. If God intended that, he would have gave us little flaps. Okay, I don't, I, stop it. Stop. Lord, help us. Um, but but that fear, that fear, you almost that pause to go, is this something I should do? But it's also the very thing that the enemy will use to say, you can't do. And so you can look throughout the Bible and find over and over and over again uh, examples of people that God would have, that other people would have never chosen that God did. Abraham, 80, 90 something years old, was told, You will be the father of many. Could you imagine being 90 years old and being told, You have no kids, you're being told, You're going to be the father of many? Like, listen, God, we missed our time. Okay, our time was like 40 years ago. Could you imagine him coming to his wife at 90 and saying, we're going to have a child? I was like, I don't know who this we are, but it wouldn't be me. Abraham, Moses, he had a stuttering issue. He told God he couldn't speak on behalf of him. David was the lowest of his family. Nobody believed Noah. I'm pretty sure even his own kids he had to drag onto the boat at some point. Daniel was an outsider whose people were defeated. Gideon was scared. He was, Gideon, when you look at Gideon, it says that he was the lowest person in his clan. His clan was the lowest clan in his people, and his people were the lowest people of Israel. So he wasn't just like, oh, I'm just a nobody. He's like, he's the nobodies of nobodies, of nobodies. And God sent an angel to him and said, mighty warrior. The disciples would have been nobody's choice. We're watching The Chosen in youth, and, and they're seeing this kind of being played out. If you've never watched The Chosen, it's a great show to watch. Uh, obviously, there's creative license in all of it, but, uh, but the idea that these were people that everybody else would have looked past, and Jesus chose them to be 
his disciples. John the Baptist, he was flat out weird. Like, okay, and once again, not to pick on Sean, and I'm not saying he's weird. He's, he's just different in a good way. I have told y'all this, okay? Sean, and, and I would say that um, Sean's more, uh, maybe, maybe if I'm stepping over my boundaries, you tell me, but Sean's a lot more milder now than when he first came. Um, uh, you know, he looked... <laughs> He, he kind of looked like uh, like samurai sword guy. Like, you know, he had, you know, all the blue crosses in his eyes, and, and he came in, like, in, in really unique. I didn't ever have a problem with it, but I had pastors in town, and I'm not going to tell you who, and I'm not going to tell you where, but I had pastors in town come up to me and go, you're brave. What, are y'all afraid he's going to karate chop me on, like, halfway through the worship? Like, what is, why am I, like, be, and here's why, because, even the church looks at people and goes, but they don't have the look. Now, we're a part of an organization called ARC, Association of Related Churches. It's not a denomination. They don't tell us how to run our, our stuff, okay? We are completely autonomous. I am the pastor. Me and Stephanie uh, are the lead of this church. We have a leadership team that helps uh, guide and lead us, and we have pastors that we trust to pour into us. That is the, uh, I guess you could say, the political version of, of our church. But, um, but, and you'll understand what I'm, where I'm going with this, is that when you look at modern church, um, there is absolutely a look that a lot of churches go for. Uh, <laughs> you've seen the memes where the worship, you know, it says, oh, the worship pastor, and they've got the flat brim hat, and, you know, they look like they drink uh, their soy latte, half whip, half milk, half caramel, half cow goat milk, whatever, you know. We have a look. And so when the look doesn't match what people think should even be church leadership or people that should ever be on stage, that's where you even get the church world saying, wow, you're brave. And I'm like, for putting somebody who loves Jesus on stage who has a talent? For, for somebody who has a heart to say, I may not be where I want, I, I want to be, but I'm definitely sure not where I used to be, and I want to be used for the glory of God? Like, we have got everything so backwards again to where we are saying, God, but listen, Tim Tebow, I love the guy, super hardcore Christian, but here's, here's what we do. We take people like him. And no knock on him, but he's the ideal guy. He's good looking. He's strong. He's a man's man. You, every guy wants to, to be like him, and every girl wants to be with him. Okay? Not to stop it, okay? I'm just, it's an overall statement, okay? Comes from good stock. His family's good people. They've got good money. We want to, as the church, say the kingdom of God needs him to go on behalf of, of God because he can make people's lives better and he can draw people to Christ. No knock on him. And he's probably done a lot of great things. His family does medical work in Africa, and, and he does. He, he talks about Christ everywhere he goes. But God does not need him. God chooses him. And the problem is, is we put people that don't look like him on the back burner. You'd be, you know, you know where you'd be good at? You'd be good at like um, uh, sound and media where, where nobody would notice. You'll do much for the kingdom of God there. We, we try to put the good look in the, the people that everybody wants to be like up here. No. The kingdom of God says we're going to put people in places where their talent is going to be useful to show off the glory of God. Not the glory of us. And so all of these examples through the Bible we see, that's what this song is talking about. I love um, the first two verses. It says, why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. Man, that is the story of my life. 
I love to talk. I do. I have a gift for gab. I'm, I'm not your normal guy, okay? Uh, they say that, that guys have about 25,000 words a day. Women have 50,000 words a day. I eat my wife's words all day long. She has like 10,000, and I use all the rest of ours together, okay? I love to talk. But that's not why God chose me. Because half the time I go, God, I, I know that I'm not where you think uh, or where I think a pastor should be. I don't feel like I'm the, the greatest leader in the world. I don't think that this, and, and God it's, it says, it's not about you. And I, I, I hear those words, why you ever chose me, has always been a mystery. It, it really defines my thought process on my life in general. It says, all my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not-quites, with all the never-get-it-rights, but it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. And I think so many times we get lost in the, well, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good-looking enough, I'm not this enough, I'm not talented enough. How could, or, or this line, how can God use somebody like me? Or how about this one? How could God use somebody like me where I'm from? How can I change the world? I'm from, I'm from little old South Arkansas. I, I, nobody even knows where we're at. Trust me, I know. Because when I said we were moving to Camden, people looked at me like, where is that? All the time, people were like, where's, where's Camden, Arkansas? And then they'd ask the follow-up question with, with well, how, how did you come to that conclusion? Did you just throw a dart at the map? And I'm thinking, listen, if I threw a dart at the map and it hit Camden, that had to be God. Because you couldn't do that in, in 100 tries. You probably wouldn't even get that once. But the reality is, is that just like Jesus, he was from Nazareth. They said, what good comes out of Nazareth? The Savior of the world did. So when, 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 when church world, and, and, and I actually just had this conversation with a guy named Blake. He's from Ark. He's one of the bigger guys, and they call me about, you know, every, he calls me about once every couple of months, and we chat, and we just talk about life, and he's great. He's a great connection for me, but I told him this last time. I said, listen, I said, I'm, I'm not, not going to lie. I'm going to be very honest with you. Always have in our, our conversations over the last five years. You know, I feel like that the launching churches, the starting churches in America, and, and my wife hates when I say this, so I'm going to hear it later, but we, we choose sexy places, okay? Because I don't know any other better way to describe it. My wife maybe has better words, but I think you understand. Like, it would be easy to go start a church in Dallas or Bentonville or Miami. And, and, and it's not that launching churches is easy in any shape, way, shape, or form, but it's easier in highly populated, highly modernized areas. Because... When we launched, and this is not a woe is us, but this is the reality. When we launched, we, we kind of caught two different areas. We caught the, well, you're way outside the realm of what we're used to, you know. And then we caught the, but you're not exactly what we're looking for yet. We're not sure we can trust you. And a lot of people, you know, and, and so when you, as soon as you say that you are, because people ask you, well, what are you? And I'm like, a Christian. I don't... <laughs> What else do you need to know? And they're like, well, what denomination? Oh, we're non-denominational. Oh, okay. So you handle snakes? I got asked that three times in launching this church. Three times. And, and listen, none of it was a joke. 
None of it was like a knee slap or a ha, 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 you're not Baptist type of, you know, thing, right? Because 70% of Camden is Baptist and no knock, great friends. But they were serious. They were serious because their idea of what it would be to have church outside of what we're used to, they went to the extreme. Especially the fact that the pastors are moving here from California. I mean, we had it all working against us for the people that called themselves Jesus followers because they're like, I don't trust you. And then the other people were like, I don't trust you. So we've had to build trust. So when he says, I've used all the people, God uses the people that you wouldn't even imagine or dream or think. I believe that's what's so great about the church that, that God is building here through freedom is that we're collecting people that I think a lot of people are going, really? Them? They go to church there? They're used there? They preach there? I love the fact that we've got some uh, young up-and-coming uh, people preaching the word, Cole and Sean and... Um, and my one in the media that I won't say her name because she's over there like, yeah, what's up? So at the end, so I will say this. In saying that, we got our next series coming up next week uh, for the month of August. And it's the you pick, right? So if you, we have a, a black uh, bucket back there with some index cards. If you got a topic or a thought that you would like us to explore in preaching, I want you to write it down, put it in. We've got some really, really great topics already. And on, on Thursday at Youth, we, we started discussing this, and, and, and uh, we might, might um, take some of our young, uh, younger speakers and take uh, one Sunday and actually have them each take about five to seven minutes and, and speak on one of those topics to get as many topics as we can in to encourage y'all and to equip y'all. And so I get really excited about that because I'm watching God use people that maybe they never thought they would be used for the glory of God. Angela is a great example. We were talking about it this morning. She was all like, you know, I, I had my shot. I went to Nashville. And if you would have asked her back then, she was chasing her glory. Now, that same talent, full circled back around, is being used to draw people to the kingdom of God. God is after those that, it's not about what they do, who they are, the talent they have. It's about the willingness to serve. What we don't see in, in all of this is what God is doing. So I want, to, I want you to, uh, turn, to me, uh, turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, 7. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. But it says this. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Now, the, the backstory is this is when Samuel was going to find a new king. Not that Saul had died yet, but, but Saul had done some things, and uh, God told uh, Samuel, there's going to be a new king. We need to line him up with, with uh, the plans that God has for Israel. And so he goes to Jesse's house, and he's, he's, he's lining up. Jesse is lining up all of his boys, and there's 11 of them, but there should be 12. Why? Because even Jesse didn't think that highly of his own son, that he could be king. Even Samuel didn't, because when Samuel got there, he took a look at the first one, the oldest son, and he said, that's king material right there. He's a warrior. He fights in the army. He's big. He's strong. He's the, the oldest of 12 boys. He's got to lead well. And this is what is said about that moment. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, what we don't see in that story is all that God was doing in David to prepare him to be king. That he was a shepherd, so he knew what it means to lead and to guide both with love 
and with discipline to guide those sheep, to protect. It says that he fought off lions and bears. He knew what it means to be a protector, a leader, a, a, a shepherd, and, and God was doing stuff in David, but everybody else was looking at David's brothers and going, yeah, that big strong one right there, he should be king. God says, no, 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 no. Stop looking for the best looking one because I've got something prepared. I see what's inside of you. And so, so many times God is speaking to us and saying, what I'm preparing inside is far more important than what people see on the outside. What I'm doing inside of your heart, what I'm growing inside of your spirit through, through his word and through his interactions with you is far greater than what the world sees on the outside. Because when everybody sees a mess, God is preparing something inside of you to prevent, to, to provide a message to the world around you. So, two quick thoughts. All that was kind of the, the intro for these two thoughts. The first one is this, don't buy the lies. Because this is where the enemy gets the church. It's not that we're not talented and not that we're not good and not that, that we don't love him. It's that we buy the lie of the enemy and it stops us from growing to be who God wants us to be. Oh, you come to church on Sunday, good. Enemy doesn't care. Where the enemy cares is when you take it to that next step and you start to live it outside of Sunday. When it starts to impact the people that you go to work with, when it starts to impact the, the family environment for the better, when, when, when family members start to, to, to get saved, and, and, and I talked about Eric last week, and you know, Eric was one of those ones that didn't trust me at first. He wasn't. When we had our startup parties, he sent Kendall in, in April and said, y'all go check them out. And they came back, and uh, I'm sure it went something like, oh, they're kind of cool. And he, you know, no. <laughs> we got this building four weeks before we opened. So we had a lot of work to do. Eric still was like, I'm not going to show up Sunday. But he showed up because he heard we needed some help and, and, and started helping tear out floors. They were running the machine with us to tear up all the tile floor. This whole wall was built by Eric and Kendall. They showed up. In his mind, he was just being a good Southern guy, lending a hand. He didn't have plans to come here. How you fast forward five years from now, all four of them not only go here, all of them serve here, have been vital in, in who we are as Freedom Church. But not only that, Eric's mom and dad are, are, are now uh, coming here every week, and they're part of our greeting team, and, and we love them to death. His sister's coming. If you would have said five years ago that one, one little thing like showing up to a startup party would change the dynamic of a family like that, they probably would have been like, eh, no. But here we are. Why? Because God's not looking at what's happening on the outside, all this stuff that no, 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 no. And God's going, oh, yeah, watch this. I'm working it out. But the enemy will try to get at us, and he'll try to lie to us. The enemy is going to tell you, you don't belong. You're not good enough. You won't fit in. He will get you to believe the lies that once people know your worst, they will never believe your best. I want you to hear that again. When, people, when, when the enemy 
his goal is to get people to believe that when they know your worst, they will never believe in your best. And here's the problem. We get stuck there. We get stuck in the place where we believe that because of our worst days and our worst decisions and our worst moments, that how could God ever use me? God doesn't have a timetable like we do. And so when God has a calling on you, it may, you may be like the Israelites where you circle back around because we're, you know, prideful and arrogant sometimes. But here's the thing. It took the Israelites 40 years, and they ended up right back where God wanted them to be. 40 years of wandering in the desert to end up right back where God wanted them to be because God's truth and God's purpose and God's calling has no timetable and no limits. The enemy wants to say, once you've made a mistake, how could God ever use you? We know that John 10.10 says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The follow-up to that part of the verse is that God says, but I've come to give you life and life abundantly. But you have to choose. Are you going to believe the lies? Are you going to believe the truth? Words that are used, I was looking this up, words that are used about Satan in the Bible. Deceitful, fraud, Liar, evil. Think about that. Deceitful, fraud, liar, and evil. And yet so many times we buy the words that the enemy uses to speak into our life. If I told you you were going to get a phone call today, and on the other end of that phone call was going to be Mike from India, you already know where this is going. And, 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 and how many have ever gotten that? Working in law enforcement, I get, unfortunately, I get this all the time. We get the fraud calls where, well, they told me that I was, the IRS was going to come after me if I didn't pay them $5,000 in Apple I, uh, gift cards. Here's my wisdom to y'all. The government is not going to ask things in gift cards, ever. Don't do it. Or Bitcoin, okay? The government is not working in Bitcoin yet. And I can't tell you how many times people have believed the lies, even though we know it. We joke about it. There's memes about it. Everybody talks about it on social media, right? We know it, but yet people fall for it all the time. Why? Because they make the lies sound believable. So many times the enemy makes the lies that you know are lies sound believable because he brings up a truth that's covered in a lie. You're not good enough. Well, yeah, sure, because you remember when you weren't. You remember when you made the mistakes. You remember when you weren't always honest. And so he uses that to make you believe that, oh, well, then God can never use you. Or God can never change that heart. Or God can never do that in you. And so you'll always be that person. And so he'll take a truth and he'll cover it up in a lie. That's why, you know, this little, you know, red guy with pitchforks and pointy ears, that's not the devil. It says that he comes as a version of the light. Because if it was a flat out devil, little pitchfork devil, we'd all know. My first, listen, y'all may think I'm mean and rude, uh, but my first comment to anybody that calls my phone and says, hello, this is Mike from India. No, it's not. What's your real name? Because it ain't Mike. Tell me your real name and maybe we could have a conversation. 
It's because if the enemy came like that, we'd know, no, but he doesn't. He persuades you with half-truths to get you to believe that you'll never be anything that God has called you to be. And so this, this song, it's, we can't believe the lies. We can't believe God, he, the enemy takes what is good and he tries to mimic it for evil. He will get you to believe that living for the world is, is, is like the world is what is your best interest. To self-serve because everyone else will do you wrong or forget about you. Don't forgive. Don't, don't, don't do things for others because they will let you down. Treat you wrong. Well, here's I can tell you this. People are going to let you down and treat you wrong, but still love them anyways. Still forgive them anyways. Because you're setting yourself free, not setting them free. You're, you're the captive, not them. The enemy will use social media. He'll use the news. He'll use mental health to pull you away from God and godly living and purpose. Mental health is a huge deal right now, right? I'm not saying that it's not. I think that it's overplayed by the enemy. I'm all for therapists and everything like that, but here's the thing. When we sit in the place, and I've said this before, like when we sit in that, that moment and just, oh, well, you don't understand. This is who I am. This is who I am. The enemy has beat you, beat you, beat you, beat you, beat you in the game that he wants to play. They'll never move from there because they think that's their identity. They'll never try because they think that's their identity. And when you think that's your identity, you will never do what God is calling you to do. You'll never try anything different. You'll never step out because the fear is, I'm going to end up right back here because this is who I am. And can I tell you, that is not who you are. It may be a season you walk through. It may be something you deal with the rest of your life, but it is not who God has designed you to be. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make partially defected people. Sin does. Sinful nature does. Being born into a sinful world. You didn't have to do anything wrong to get there, but you have to do some things right to get out of it. I don't know how to get out of it. First thought is, you have to get close to God. You have to do the things that you know to do. I talked about this a couple weeks ago about how I got out of those moments in my life. It wasn't that, that I was great and perfect. It's I knew that what I had to do, I had to stay in his word. I had to pray. I had to be close to people that loved him. Why does he use all those tools? Because he doesn't want you to walk in freedom. God's goal is freedom. The enemy's goal is captivity. And you can be captive in church. You can be captive in Bible study. You can be captive and, and call yourself a Christian all day long. But until you trust God and don't buy the lies and you start to walk in truth, God starts to give you freedom and purpose and you start to know your creator in an intimate way. So don't buy the lies. The second thought is this. Your story, his glory. When we stop living for ourselves, and it doesn't mean that we don't enjoy life. It doesn't mean that they're, uh, we're, Izzy hates when I talk about her, but um, when we were having the conversation in, in our car a couple weeks ago, she asked that question, Dad, we're supposed to serve others, right? Yes. So the priority is others above ourselves. I said, well, that's not always true. I really confused her for a moment. Because 
here's the thing. It's not just about serving others, but, and I talk about this all the time in Matthew where it says, love your God with all your heart, your strength, your soul, and mind, right? And it says, and the second greatest commandment is like it, to love others like you love yourself. If the enemy can get you to not love yourself, how can you love others? You will dig from a well that is empty because you don't know how to love yourself. So how can I show people love when I don't, when I look in the mirror and all I see is flaws, how can I show somebody else their perfection? How can I show them their goodness in God? How can I show them that God cares for them is when I go to my own well, all I see is my faults and my flaws and the things that the enemy lies to me about. And so, yes, we're living for others, but God wants you to be the best that you can be. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to have strong relationships. He wants you to be in great community, and he wants you to have joy. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You have a plan. I'm not a big, you know, repeat after me kind of person, but I want you to, I have a plan. At some point, y'all need to mean it. Some of you, listen, I, I, I don't care if you're 7 years old or 77 years old, 97 years old, 107 years old. I don't care who you are. If you've got breath in your lungs, you have a plan. If you have breath in your lungs, God's not done with you. He created you as his master. Think about that. He named, he his owned everything else, but he breathed life into us. He created trees and animals and all this other stuff, but it, when it came to humanity, he breathed his own spirit into us. Why? Because he had a plan that was greater than just live on this earth. We're his masterpiece created with a purpose. And so if you sit here today and you get nothing else out of this, when you follow God and when you get close to him, you will realize that God has a plan for you. Even in little old Camden with 10,000 people, you know what? God has a plan for this place. And he has a plan for you in this place. And he wouldn't have put you here if he didn't. It doesn't matter if you're in middle school, high school, elementary school, college, or well out of all of that. He has a plan for you. I love Revelation 12, 11. Somebody has asked me in that, those cards to speak on Revelation. I don't know if I'm that guy. Um, not saying I won't. I'm just saying I know that Revelation is a, is a tricky thing to teach on. But I love a couple of verses particularly. This one is one that says, Revelation 12, 11, and they have defeated him by what? By the blood of Christ and by, the, by their testimony. And they did not love their life so much that they were afraid to die. In the song, it's, it, the, the chorus says this, because I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. And ever since he rescued me, he gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. That, that verse in Revelation is so powerful because in that verse, it has nothing to do with you. How good you talk, how good you look, how good you are at your job. It says that, that the enemy is overcome by what Christ did on the cross and the story that we get by following him. 
Statistically, 72% of what I say today will have, have, have completely left your mind within 24 hours. So I really don't hold, my, hold a, 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 an extreme value in my messages. That's not saying that I don't think they're important. My messages create community. Community creates change. When you feel connected to something and you listen, you may get one little thing out of it. It may be something completely different than I hoped, but you may get one little thing out of the message and go, man, that, that was good. And everything else just gone, gone away. But it creates a cycle of you wanting to come back and be better. And here's, here's what's even greater is that it creates community. And you go, I can't wait to see those people's faces again because they actually care about me. They love me. They, they create this community. And so we, we build on this. And it says that when we do that, our lives are starting to change. And then what happens is this, is we go out and we start telling people our story. And it doesn't have to sound perfect or polished or put together. Always, this is, what has Jesus done for you? Now tell somebody about it. And, and it doesn't mean going and knock the door down. You know, we're not Jehovah Witnesses knocking on doors. Can I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Because it just sounds fake. I'm talking about in just community. When you're at your workplace or, you know, you go to the coffee shop and you just start talking about life and, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Well, I went to the lake and da-da-da-da, and then I went to church. Oh, you go to church? Yeah. I used, to be a, uh, I, used, I used to be a SWAT team Christian. That's what I call it. You know, where you go and knock the door down, just... <laughs> exactly. And that's how most people react. Ah! Jesus! And I get so mad. I remember being... Y'all are going to laugh at me. I remember being in chess club um, in high school. Shut your face, okay? Um, don't the laugh... You laugh, you laugh because you can't play, okay? Um, I was taught by my football coach, um, if that makes it any more manlier, okay? Uh, but it <laughs> doesn't. Uh, but I remember sitting in chess club, and, and, and I was talking to this, uh, this guy, and he was trying to get underneath my skin, and I was a young Christian, and he was starting to say stuff. And I remember I felt like I was defending God, like he needed defending, Right? And my math teacher afterwards, after it all got settled down and he, the guy walked away, Mr. Smith walked up to me and he's like, bro, that is not how we do this successfully. He was a Christian. He goes, the only thing that kid is going to remember is that you had a vein that looked like it was about ready to pop and you were angry. He said, you don't win people to Christ that way. You win them by having conversation and showing them God's love and grace and allowing them to come to that conclusion on their own, yes or no. But you can't force somebody to know Jesus and you can't force somebody to live for him. So when you do that, all you do is tell, show the world, I want nothing to do with that. That's why I think churches aren't filled. It's because we politic and we get angry too much rather than sharing love and guiding and, and, and walking people through life. I'm going to end with this, and Hannah, you can come up. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says this. You are the light of the world. Like a city hidden on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. 
Our goal is not to be perfect. Our goal is to be Christ-like. Our goal is to, to do things in a way that the world sees the God in our actions. One of my favorite descriptions of Jesus is when, it, is when it says that he went around doing good everywhere he went. We want to be influencers. But I'll say it this way. We are called to be influencers. And I think that word's been really skewed lately because we have all of these influencers everywhere. And so we lose the real value in what it means to influence people. We lose the value of what it means to disciple people. Can I tell you that your pastor, whether it's me or any other pastor that's in your life, is not the only person that should be discipling? The Bible says that we are discipled to disciple. And I've said this before in many, uh, uh, in many different sermons that at any given time, we all have about 10 eyes that are looking at us and how we choose to live and the choices that we make. Whether you want to or not, people are looking at you on how you live your life and, what, and the decisions that you make, guiding them on the decisions they're going to make. And it should feel a little bit weighty. It should feel a little bit like, oh man, I better make the right decisions. Because I want them to, to, to have the best opportunities in life and I want them to have the best version of me that I possibly can. Not for my sake, but for his glory. That people would know him for, for, for who I am and how I live. Whether you're a business owner making business decisions or, or a husband and wife making decisions at the house or where, whatever your role is in the season that you're in, that, that you are making choices that people are going to look at and go, that is a person I want to follow. Here's what we know about influencers today. It means nothing in the light of what it's supposed to be. Think about it. Get on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. <laughs> Hashtag influencer. And you're going to have a, you know, and I'm not knocking it, but you're going to have a lot of nonsense. Follow me for makeup tutorials. I'm an influencer. Look at this cool car I drive. You can't have it because... I'm an influencer. My clothes are given to me by all these companies because I'm an influencer. What does that even mean? But here's the problem. We, we can laugh at it. It's kind of like somebody, somebody talked about Nickelback last week to me, and I said, you know what's funny is everybody hates on Nickelback, but yet they still sell out stadiums. Like, <laughs> like everybody's this undercover like Nickelback fan. They don't want to admit it. But we all go home and we all could probably sing to the song Photograph. Yeah. So some of you are like, yeah. You know? It's this idea that, that influence and, and what it means to be an influencer has lost its value because of what we see the world present. Can I tell you, we were never meant to be deciding factors in the church house on what the world says an influencer is. True influence changes those around you. That's what influencers do. To leave an impact and live a legacy. True influence serves people and a purpose, which is why most things on social media are not influencers because they don't serve an, a purpose that changes the world around them. They serve themselves, their own need, and their own values.
A true influencer say, it's not about me, it's about what I can provide to the world around me and how I can make the people around me better. And I influence so that others will influence others. The Bible calls us ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. In other words, you can input influencers. We are Christ's influencers. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. My goal is not to make my name much. I I hope at the end of my life, I could care less if anybody remembers me. And I know that may sound weird and harsh, especially as a pastor. Because the reality is when I die 100 years later, nobody will remember me. And I'm okay with that. That's reality. That's a healthy view of life. What I hope is that I pass on to my children, my grandchildren, if I'm blessed enough to see them, that as as I'm a leader, that I pass on just maybe even just a little something to every person that I interact with, and they may never remember that it came from me, but I could care less if it changes their life. I used to dream of the days when I would be a pastor of a church of thousands. And if that day still comes, cool, awesome. But you know what? God has been working a lot in me over five years. And I think partially that's part of the thing that God wanted to do. That I don't want to do this to be an influencer so that I can be on Instagram and cheese for the camera and look at my church. That I can walk arm in arm with each one of you and say, let's do life and let's change the world. One person in Camden at a time. One family in Camden at a time. Showing them a true, authentic purpose in Christ. Show them that it's not overnight. It's, it's baby steps. It's 1% better today than I was last week or, last, or yesterday. And it's linking arms in community and saying, let's do life together. We're going to influence people by living authentically, by the blood of Christ, the power of our testimony. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that that's what we get today. It's not about us. It's about you. And God, maybe there's people in here that, like me, have held on to greatness and wanting to be something, wanting to know, be be known by as somebody that we would lay that at the altar and say, God, I still want to be used. God, I still want to be, uh, I want to make much of my life and I still want to make much of the purpose of my life. But God, I want it to be that it focuses back on your glory and your purpose and your plan. And God, whether that is in the limelight or in Africa or Latin America or whether it's just living my life every day that when I go even to the store, I listen to the Holy Spirit. And when it says speak, I speak. And when it says pray, I pray. And when it just says to, to, to get close to you, I get close to you. And that God, that I would listen to your will for my life. God, I pray against the, the lies of the enemy and, and us that have allowed those lies to speak loudly. God, mute our ears from hearing that. Some of us sitting here, and we sit more in the sin that we have done rather than the calling and purpose that God has put in us. God, show them they're forgiven. Show them that they have 
been made clean because of what you did on the cross. And now their part is to follow you and to be discipled in your word and to be discipled in community so that they can make much with their testimony. Father, I pray that this week we would take time and opportunity that, God, we would wake up every morning and say, God, make much of my day today. That people would look at my life and they would see the glory of God and the goodness of my Father. And God, I pray this last part of the prayer for, for what's on my heart is that, God, we let our past go. I don't know who needs to hear that, but I just, even as I said it, God, I felt a release in somebody's spirit. We got to let our past go. Sometimes it's not the lie of the enemy, it's the past that the enemy uses to keep us from seeing the future in Christ. So I speak that over us today, God. Let our past go that we might walk there in the future of your goodness. don't buy the lies anymore. We walk in freedom. I bless each and every person here. And I pray we go and we make a difference in the world and the lives around us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We give you glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen.